HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program is brought to you by Wisconsin Cheese. Did you know that Wisconsin is home to the nation's only master cheesemakers program that provides innovative cheesemakers with continuing education opportunities? To learn more, visit wisconsincheese.com. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. We're a member-supported food radio network broadcasting over 35 weekly shows live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. Join our hosts as they lead you through the world of craft brewing, behind the scenes of the restaurant industry, inside the battle over school food, and beyond. Find us at heritageradionetwork.org. Welcome to The Grape Nation, your weekly wine journey. Our guest is author and wine columnist, Letty Teague. We'll talk to Letty about wine, words, and more. We'll taste a French Chardonnay for our weekly wine sip. I wasn't going to tell Letty, but I showed her what we're drinking, so we'll figure that out later. I'm your host, Sam Ben Ruby. Stay with us for The Grape Nation on the Heritage Radio Network. We bring wine to the people. Letty Teague is an award-winning author and columnist for the Wall Street Journal. Her column on wine appears three times three a month times. in the journal. Three times. Letty has received three James Beard Awards, including the MFK Fisher Distinguished Writing Award. Letty Teague was formerly the wine columnist for Food and Wine Magazine and its wine editor for 12 years. Letty also has published three books, Wine and Words, Educating Peter, and she illustrated, she's an artist, Fear of Wine. Letty, welcome to the show. Great to be here, Sam. I'm glad I finally got you on the show. I've been looking forward to having you on. Well, I hope I don't disappoint. You will not. <laughs> um, I want you to give our guests a little context. So give us a quick background on your journey in life and wine that got you to where you currently are which is writing a wine column for the Wall Street Journal. Well, um, it, was a, it was a career with a pretty inauspicious beginning. Okay. Um, so, 
<laughs> but but now that I, better. since I ended up at the very top of the heap, um, I guess we can say it turned out well. Um, but yep. uh, I guess it began, and and I, this is kind of irresponsible because I've gotten so very old to begin my story <laughs> in college. But <laughs> I uh, it actually does in a in a way, um, or actually in a profound way, because I spent my junior year in Ireland and lived with a family whose father was a wine merchant. And oh. as someone that grew up in the Midwest, mostly, um, I had a pretty unsophisticated uh, sense of of what wine was and living with a father who would bring wine home every night and his wife who was a terrific chef um, would pair with it and they would talk about wine and and pairing wine I ended up working a little bit in the wine shop Um, uh, I ended up Drinking a lot of wine, and I and I decided, uh, without really understanding what it meant, I wanted a career in the wine business, and thus beget a um, uh, a let's say checkered career in the wine business. Um, I would all the, and, the and, beginning and, of a checkered career. <laughs> it was right. hopefully it's less checkered now, but okay. um, I, I did a lot of things unsuccessfully in the wine business. Um, I, I sold wine, and I and I mined all of my lack my, all of my lack of successes um, for topics for my column. So you know, I, in the end, they uh, proved worth worthwhile, but. Um, selling wholesale on the streets of New York, working in a restaurant, um, doing marketing and PR for wine companies, um, you know, just uh, basically everything you could do. A friend of mine called me Letty of a Thousand Jobs because I had I worked for multiple uh, um, wine wholesalers. And so you customers. were that into it that you never got discouraged. I was if you that didn't misguided. like wholesale sales, <laughs> well, you tried something else. I was else. no good at it, Sam. Okay. Um, but the one thing that stuck was the writing, and that's that's uh, um, and just on a lark. My food and wine career actually began. Well, my very first magazine job was at a magazine that no longer exists, exists called Diversion, and it was a travel and leisure magazine for physicians published by Hearst. And I auditioned for a job that I had no business auditioning for, and that was their food, wine, and books editor. And um, <laughs> at a like seventy-five percent pay cut, they uh, offered me the job after I did. Wait, a it was test. a travel magazine, travel and leisure magazine for, for doctors. physicians. Yeah, so it was sort by... of a trade magazine. To no, them. it wasn't trade. It, it was wasn't? like it was like travel and leisure, but for doctors. And Hearst was it, really did narrow, they put you know, it on the like, lobby table or was yeah, in their like office? Every doctor got, uh, got okay. diversion. It was a really, it was a really nice little magazine okay. um, run by some very nice people. Um, many of one of whom has gone on to be the editor of uh, a prominent women's magazine. But at any rate, um, first when, official wine writing job. First official. Uh, okay. First official. So then. And then I, I wrote a freelance story for Food and Wine magazine called Why I Hate to Eat with My Husband. Um, my husband at the time was the very famous Alan Richman, and um, and they loved it. They thought it was really funny, and they told me they're looking for a wine editor, and I said, what about me? And um, <laughs> and they had no idea that I had this whole checkered career in the, in the world of wine. And, they didn't and so need to know. Well, they found out. So how long after that did they put you on staff? I guess it was about three months after that. Wow, yeah. that was quick. Yeah. Well, it seemed forever to me, Sam. Well, at that time. <laughs> Waiting around. Now you look back. Um, so that was, tell me about food and wine. That was the beginning of a pretty long tenure. Yeah, that was in 1997, um, which was the real heyday. Uh, well, the heyday for so many things. Heyday for magazine world. Um, heyday for the wine world. I was uh, Robert Parker and Stephen Tanzer's editor. Um, Two separate ventures, though, right? Well, they were. They each wrote They wrote alternating columns. Um, oh, Tanzer okay. didn't last so, so very long, but Bob and I became quite friendly, and he, uh, he remained a columnist for, for some time. 
Um, and then, you know, was he the, doing his own? He was doing his ad, newsletter. Yeah, ad, at the time. he was. He was doing. So he was doing no, both. No, okay, but he was a contributing. And was Tanzer doing his newsletter? He was doing his newsletter too. Okay, but ultimately he just chose did. His they newsletter. get the job at the magazine because of their newsletters? I would expect so, but Probably, I couldn't right. say since it predated me. Right. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right. So you you wrote with. For Parker and Tanzer? No, I, I was their editor. You were their editor. I was their editor. And, okay. many, and the editor of many other um, wine writers. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right. So you're at Food and Wine for about a dozen years. Mm-hmm. Then what happens? Oh, and then I ended up getting downsized uh, in the great magazine Downsize, which was also the great you know downsize of the American economy um, in 2009. And uh, I ended up just writing the column. I was a columnist. So, um, And then... A, Late in 2009, I got the word, um, someone that uh, that I just happened to meet, that the journal was looking for a uh, wine columnist, and would I be interested? And, no, <laughs> and you can imagine what I said. No hesitations, right? <laughs> by gosh, by golly, yes. Yeah. I know who you were writing with, but when you got there, who was doing the column? Well, you, as you may remember, um, there was a Dorothy couple. Gator and and, um, and and her husband were, were you know... The, for many years. For many years. Right. I, I think for uh, 12 years. Actually. Right. You came John, in. John and, Brescher and, right. and Dorothy Gator, who, I, who I'd never met. I, I'd never met. Right. You know. Right. Um, like you said, they were there for a lot of years. Right. Um, and you are currently at the Wall Street Journal. It's funny that you mentioned downsizing then. There seems to be a lot of downsizing well, now. Well, just continuous. In magazines the food and newspapers. And wine and, category yeah, specifically, yeah, and magazines per yeah, se and everything. Sad. It's very sad. All right, let's mm-hmm. talk about Letty and writing and all of that. I told you earlier I'm as interested in the process of writing as much as writing about wine. I don't know if that's interesting, Sam. Well, the I'll make it interesting. The process of writing. The process of writing so, is not writing. <laughs> but you know what I mean. It's so my, I have a bunch of curiosities. Um, any big difference between writing for a weekly newspaper column versus... A magazine. Oh, profound difference. Profound. And I'll tell you. The I think way some people could spot them, but it. tell well, me. The biggest one, well, two very big ones, um, which, which were, uh, um, you know, which I only realized when, when, I, when I began. Um, first of all, especially a newspaper like the Wall Street Journal, um, where readers are, are very, um, uh, well, obviously they're very intelligent, but they're also very engaged. And, and, and they they will tell you what they think of your column. And, and, of course, in a magazine, and, and back in the day, nobody could leave comments anyway, and nobody really leaves comments on the monthly. You know, it's, it's just not a thing. But on newspaper, as I'm sure you've seen, on newspaper So demographics and you know, sort of the immediacy every day. You know, col- right. It would, they, you know, would, would tell me exactly what they thought of me or the column or the idea, and and also in a good way too. I mean, you're, so you're getting um, instant, you know, um, feedback. Uh, but it's also uh, very a very very important fact of writing for the journal. And I can't speak to other newspapers, um, but we practice no surprises journalism, and that means that if I'm writing something critical of of, of someone that they, I have to, I, I I I tell them, you know, I'm writing this about you. Do in you advance have a response? of the column yeah, coming out, to give out. them a chance to respond, and and that's just you know principle I think of good journalism. How did that work out? I mean, in, well, it doesn't always make you friends. With well, people. no, I know that, but <laughs> looking back, is that the right thing to do? Oh, I think so. Yeah, I, I do you too. Know? But I, I think, yeah, I think that, and that's, like you said, it's not going to always work. 
Well, I mean, it's not going to make people happy, but what I think happened? people always want to know. Uh, I think you always want to know something rather than to wake up the next morning and find something, you know, in the newspaper the next day. And, right. and again, that's just not my column. That's the that's the practice of you know of of journalist, a right. good journalist, you know. Um, period. Was it your style, where most of the time you were notifying people where it seemed negative, or I think it, you can, if you read my you know umpteen columns that I've written in the past eight years, I you don't say think that so. there's pretty limited number of times that I've had yeah, to make an unfortunate call. Although one I remember quite distinctly because it was about uh, extortionate restaurant wine list pricing, and and, and there's <laughs> that's a, a subject that a, needed to be discussed well, yeah, anyway. It did, and you and, know, that's fair. Um, and I did tell this particular New York, very successful New York City restaurateur, that that I'm going to be writing about the fact that he. Had had priced his wines at uh, five times wholesale, and you know, and, and wow. I thought it was a pretty egregious thing. Did he have a response? And he wrote me. <laughs> I think it was if it, if you had printed the uh, email, it was probably would have been three pages long. Wow. So you know, what? I've got to edit that to a couple lines. Jesus. <laughs> so yeah, that's fair though. It's it fair is. to tell him, and right. I'm sure he couldn't defend it, but whatever. Right. Um, he, he didn't lower his prices. No, you didn't influence <laughs> that, but you brought attention to it. What about? Content. Uh, I mean, is it obvious that a magazine piece is more words and more in depth than a weekly column? Or that not is a great advantage. Sure. I mean, I, I miss my column That's in the magazine the... for that because I had sometimes close to three thousand words, which as a writer, it just gives you room to stretch and really? and, and tell wonderful, funny, interesting, uh, idiosyncratic stories. And when I have, I have twelve hundred words in the journal. It's and almost so, a third. Yeah, it's a bit of a haiku, you know. Right. So it's great. Did you have to discipline yourself, or you just turn a different switch on? Well, fortunately, it happened gradually. My column originally was 1,800 words, so I had a little bit more, and then they sort of put me on a diet slowly. All right, my last curiosity. The last one, Sam. Well, no, I have have a a million other questions. (laughs) But there was a time, and I just want you to respond to this quickly. There was a time, including you, where the journal had three wine columnists. They did, Mm mm-hmm. And I'm sitting across now from the one. <laughs> That's right. What was uh, that about? The woman. The woman. I mean, food and wine, Bon Appetit. They oh, didn't have three I, wine columns. I know they didn't. Well, but the journal is a. Is, well, first of all, one of the wine columnists was uh, um, based in the UK, Will Lyons. Okay. And he uh, he was only in the European edition of WSJ, although you would see him his column online, um, and that just he, uh, you know, and again, I'm not privy to to the decisions um, right. made by uh, the editorial powers that be um, and Jay was uh, Jay I mean, McInerney Jay McInerney was um, uh, he was not on staff I'm was a, I've always been on staff at the journal and uh, he was a, a contract and I think that uh, he was there for four years I, I think for the journal what's so, the thinking right. it was like a prestige thing you know here's a Prolific writer. Yeah, I also you know, wrote again, wine books. I have. I don't know. Maybe they thought we have a guy and a girl, and maybe. then we have an, an English. It could be one. that simple. I, I have no idea. And you've been writing the column solo for how long? Uh, for four years. For four years mm-hmm. is when Jay mm-hmm. left. Mm-hmm. All right. So how do you? I mean, for eight years altogether. Four right. Four years solo. But yeah. four. Right. Um, three times a month. How do you select mm-hmm. subject matter? I mean, uh, are you inspired or the things always, you have yeah, to? Yeah. 
Do you ever get stuck? Writer's block? Never. I mean, how do you... You know, I have to say... Tell me about the genesis of, you know, how columns come together. I tried it. Well, I tried to have different types of columns, um, uh, service columns. So, you know... Thematically. people always want to be, you know, good wines to buy. Like when I wrote about my love of Chablis and, and, you know, great Chablis to buy. Um, Idea columns. So, like, looking at... at, uh, you know the the extortionate wine list pricing. Um, sometimes destination stories, like I did a, a, a column not so long ago about Charleston, which I just happened to. I was just Charleston, down at the wine festival. You know the wine scene is exploding down there. And I, mean, I was there the opening night of Graf, oh, which you had written about. Yeah, and vintage and monarch. Right, we were it's so it's a terrific such a scene. dynamic wine scene. You know, I think and, it was a very timely right. article as far as everything that's going right, on and there. It, and it just uh, you know I'd been there a year ago because uh, I have a good friend that has a has a place there. Right. And even a year ago, it wasn't the scene that it is now right. you know, today. Um, and then sometimes there are, I do um, fun stories uh, as well. You know that uh, that maybe you know are a little more. Uh, well, like I did, I did a story that this was. I, I as I was joking to you earlier, if, if Costco is in the column, then we know that right. lots of people are going to care. But when I first moved to New Jersey, um, one of the things Jersey. that I was told I had to do was to join Costco. My husband actually told me that he said you need a Costco card, and I thought you know this is kind of ridiculous and, and you know that I that took me to all these years to join Costco but it was sort of my del- my my um and I know I knew certainly from the world of wine how many good wines show up at Costco but but going there and then finding these wines and writing about these wines but then also interviewing winemakers like Doug Schaefer I said you know how did it how did Schaefer Merlot end up at Costco and he would say well I don't know and then I would ask like, somebody else and, and every, to, a, to a man the producers all said I have no idea how my wine ended up it, at Costco <laughs> Doug Schaefer's an ornery guy did he say I don't no. know he he was the, Did he say I don't know because he didn't want to fess up to that he's at Costco it, or he really was, didn't know? I think it was clear like every producer that I, and I don't mean to single out just Doug but so many producers when I said how did, did you know your wine was there right. they affected great surprise it was like in Casablanca there's gambling going on here <laughs> right. gambling yeah but that caught it certainly it caught the reader's attention column. right and, and then some of them lambasted me for um, getting to being so late in discovering Costco in the first place well that, that's okay <laughs> I lived New York City for a long time. So those are themes. You want something to be fun or whatever. Mm. Do, do you ever realize I just wrote three fun columns in a row and I, does that happen? No, because we always you, try to mix it up. I have, I have a, a really good editor and we, um, Beth Cracklauer, and, and we um, talk about, and I just, and she's great. I just, I, the one thing that I feel like, if you could say that, and not to give myself a pat on the back, but I, I have a lot of ideas. I, I never run out of ideas. Well, that, I was going to ask you, are you of, working you know, on multiple stories yeah, at once? There's two, three. Things are always, I, I have this really fun idea that we're going to, because we want to have like a fun column soon. So um, she and I are excited about. And, if the uh, idea pops in, you'll develop it so that yeah, and, you don't lose. And, and it's the, fast. You know, that's the great thing is you can say, this is my idea. And because I have a weekly column, it can, it right. can become real very quickly. Do you have more topics floating around your head than you have space to write them in <laughs> or you could mm. spread it out pretty evenly I think I do I think I, you know you know because as a columnist you can't ever be without ideas and, and that so far I, so good <laughs> that I know yeah. but you're not backed up or so anxious to well because you want to be timely too you know right. after all so the newspapers so you, you have to, to you know, and you right. have to to allow for the possibility that you know something may supplant another idea if it's a little more timely yeah. 
So how long does it take to write a column? <laughs> I mean, we yeah. just talked about how right. you're working on multiple ideas right. and it's it could a, involve travel or whatever. Well, writing is not writing. As, you, as every writer I'm sure you've, you've ever interviewed would say, there's, you spend a lot of time not writing. Um, right. And then here is a very funny like thing. like 20 hours of misery in an hour of like 40 <laughs> right, pages. Right, like, okay, yeah. good. Well, I never get that many, but um, okay. there is this, uh, this writing coach. His name, um, what was his name? He's a writing coach from an Oregon newspaper. And I... This was years ago when I was my first presentation was at Napa Valley Writers Conference, and he was talking about effective uh, uh, rewriting, and and he said there are three kinds of of effective rewriting, and I don't remember what the other two were, but the but the the one that was not effective was to go was to you write a little bit and then go back and polish it and then write a little bit more, then go back and polish it and write a little more, then write and and. And and he was like, I said, that's what I do. I, that's what I do. That's what it takes. And I was telling like my friend Ben Cheever, he said, well, that's what I do. And then every writer I spoke to said, well, that's what I do. I thought, okay, well, then at least we're all writing ineffectively by going back. And, that's, you know, I guess that's sort of the formula. Does that play differently if you're writing a book versus a column? Because yeah, a, a book, book, you got to lay out. Yeah, 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 it's the same principle in right. smaller doses right. and all of that. Right. Um, do you... I'm curious. I'm curious again. Do you have <laughs> it's to a good travel? Quality in a radio interview. <laughs> Do you have to travel <laughs> much? Do you travel much? Are you tasting a lot? Because I remember last year I bumped into you at a New York State wine tasting. I recognize you. I think I handed you my card, and then I stalked you for about a half a year. Um, <laughs> but are you unaware. are you traveling a lot and drinking a lot or you can keep that under control not a lot uh not a lot of either actually and and it's not always you know it's not drinking but tasting of course so um like feb and <laughs> march are huge tasting months in new york yeah there's a, there are a lot, lot of a lot of producers come to town yeah yeah because do you because do a lot um, of that or what i don't can... do a lot um i do some um and when i can it just sometimes it just depends on um i think you know a if i'm in town or b if i have a column due or what what have you but right. it's also really i mean i buy all the wines for my column i don't um i don't take Nobody's anything for free it, right. no I, I send back you know any samples i get but um trade tastings are challenging just because sometimes the, the really good ones are super, super crowded, you know. Yeah. And, um, but it's it, nice to be able to see maybe some producers that are in town for those. Yeah. Um, so you don't feel compelled to have to taste all the time and taste everything. And it would be nice, but it I do would. Have to, but have you to go where you to. have to when you have to. <laughs> exactly. Right? You know, exactly. If you're I'm doing kind of a story directed. on Chablis. Right. That's all I'm doing. You know, yeah. you'll spend Just the time on Chablis, uh, which always makes Chablis. me happy. Yeah. Um, it's still pretty early in the year. And I wanted to get your take on, I mean, who better than you to at least approach answering this? Hmm. What big stories, events, or trends in 2017 from your writing, from stories, from things that, you know, I, I mean, is can you pinpoint well, a couple of things? I think one big story. Just 2017, not now or wine, right. or where things are going. You mean from the vintage 2017? No, from mean? the world of wine, okay. which could be a vintage, uh, it could uh -huh. be an event. I mean, the, the Napa fires was certainly an event. Right, But, right. Well, you know, in your mind. I what? think in this country, a huge issue is going to be labor. Um, you've seen it, it's affecting farms 
farms, and certainly it's going to affect uh, wineries. You know, the labor now to do the uh, uh, the work in the vineyard and then to uh, to harvest in the fall, and that there have been, you know, a lot of a lot of of, of farm labor. You know, uh, um, has been scared off. Have, have you know? By that's ICE tied to have, the current immigration absolutely, situation. Absolutely, I think that's. A However, it was. It's a see. more trying situation now. I think that I, that I, I don't see disagree. The repercussions, you know, um, certainly come harvest. And I know that producers. I was in California a couple weeks ago. That's one of the number one concerns. You know, will they have the labor? Um, I think that's unique to the there. U.S. I'm sure in Europe, you know, it's the same. Right, right, right. And that's it, what I said in, in America. That's yeah. a good point, and I think it's a timely point. Um, anything else? Anything else tickle your fancy? Well, I mean, in, in South Africa, you have the situation with the drought, you know, and, and how that's going to, you know, affect uh, um, the producers there. I think, you know, in So Italy, I'm not aware of have, this. Like, in South yeah, Africa well, in right Town, now, they're, they're talking about, in the wine-growing yeah. area? Well, in, in, in Cape Town area, and, and I know that there's... They're, they're, I mean, from what I understand, there's not the concern is not yet grave, but um, you know we've seen that in other parts of the world, in right. Spain in the past, and and then I don't know, just just a certain amount of of maybe political instability of a concern. I mean, look what's happening in Italy. You know, I, I you know um, yeah. The, so I think just an an unst- an unstable world is never good for the wine world either. Um, I think you're so, starting yeah. to see the beginning mm. of instability. But I'm just a wine columnist, so you know there are people that are far better equipped to. Uh, and I know. just host a wine show, so, <laughs> so you and I so we're are just we're gonna here we're gonna Brooklyn. check yeah. our uh, our political stuff <laughs> right, right. Uh, at Fears. the uh, yeah. at the coat check thing. Um, I mentioned this to you earlier, and I want to get your take on it because it's an important thing in wine, and certainly if you're in Brooklyn. There's a very big natural wine scene. Under that umbrella is organic, biodynamic, right? Um, all of that stuff. I don't want to get into um, the politics. Not the <laughs> pop, but the you know what's the difference between biodynamic and natural and all that. But the movement. Mm-hmm. Th- there's just I think the natural wine scene is here, and I it's a broad question, but you know, give me your take on it. Generally, and then we'll try to focus in. Okay. Well, I'm I'm certainly all for uh, um, you know wine to be made as naturally as possible, um, and for you know for producers to eschew pesticides where they can, and to and 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 any kind of you know topical treatments, any kind of use of chemicals, any kind of manipulation. But at the same time, um, I don't. Um, well, two things. One is I don't uh, like wine that is flawed, so wine that hasn't actually, you know, maybe an application of, of sulfites would have stabilized the wine, and so it would not have, you know, turned brown, and it would have, you know, not been oxidative. And or, more of and that ma- exists or Brett and in the real right. natural wine right? Because there are a lot of famous wines and winemakers that have been practicing sustainable Natural right. that don't, but are also interested in just making wine that tastes good. Yeah. It isn't flawed. And know? then there's and the natural. You know. Well, and that's the second point I was going to say is the ideology. I eschew, I eschew ideology in all forms, and certainly in in the world of wine, because I I don't think that that um, ideology. Sh- it's like being a journalist. I, I I shouldn't have an ideology, um, and nor should any good journalist, and nor should any winemaker. The only goal is to write well and honestly and and um, truthfully and accurately. And I think the same is 
that's true of winemaking. You just make a wine that is, you know, that is well made and 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 will last for a certain amount of time on a on a retail store shelf or in a in a restaurant cellar. And and to have this kind of, um, uh, you know, it is it, it is a. Uh, you know this this uh, you know anti you know if you're not with us you're against us against us kind of mentality is not something that I have any interest in um, participating in. Is this something that is going to continue and heat up even more, or at some so. point I don't think everybody's so. just going to? I think it's it's a because you know maybe if you you know with with history as a guide there there have been so many different movements you know in the world of wine and I right. think that that the the people the natural winemakers the so called you know the ones that are making good wine will continue to make good wine and 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 that probably that that label will become less important um, but you know I mean wine is subject like anything is subject to fads you know and, and people that. You know, it's funny because we we were speaking of Charleston and and Charleston, which is this very new, you know, um, a nascent uh, uh, wine market in in terms of sophistication and and a range of wines that are now available there. And I, I was joking with this. Uh, um, a guy, the owner of a wine bar, said, "You know, why is it you've got you've got so much natural wine here in a, in a place that, like, last year had California Chardonnay and Cabernet? It's like everybody like just said, okay, that's it. We're all gonna. We're, this is this means we're sophisticated now. We'll have like ten pet nats, and we'll have you know right. wines from the Jura, and we'll have, you know it's like no, there's room for traditional wines too. You you've kind of skipped a big step, you know, yeah, of understanding I, 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 classic I th- wines. You know? I think that's a good point." And I think to your point earlier, I mean, the end product, the consistency is important. I mean, if there's a natural wine where it's inconsistent, it's crappy, Mm -hmm. I mean, I don't think that guy's going to... Well, no one's going to Just because he's natural, yeah. I mean, I think people are going to, you know, identify all of that. Um, Do you think this generation of sommeliers, you know, restaurants used to be palaces, chefs became rock stars, now sommeliers are sharing the light. Do you think psalms or some of them and distributors, importers are kind of pushing the natural thing too? Not really. Not, not major really. In a I major think way. you know, and I think like anything, those those psalms that have that that that, you know, I think if, if you think back when you're in your twenties, you're like everything matters so long. much. You know, everyone's so passionate about things, and and sommeliers by definition are young. Um, so and, and you know, that's a good point. You no, know, so <laughs> talk to me in fifteen gonna, years. Yeah, right? exactly. And we'll see how many of them are. <laughs> yeah, are that's pet a good point. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I read somewhere you sort of chided low alcohol wines, which is a uh, psalm favorite. I, mean, I praised high alcohol. Actually, it was worse. I praised high right. alcohol wine. Every psalm that comes in here, their favorite wine is Riesling, which tends to be a low uh, alcohol wine. Right. Is that a... Not Vino Verde. Why don't they love Vino Verde? Right. It's even they lower in alcohol. No, because Riesling is cooler. <laughs> right. Um, Let's have a movement. I mean, why do you feel that way? Why do I, why do I feel... Like that, low alcohol wines. Uh, I, mean, I don't have anything against low alcohol okay. wines. I just, you just chided like them thing, I don't like anything just for the sake of it, you know, f- for any one thing. You know, if it's low alcohol but has, is delicious and has flavor, yes. But if it's low alcohol for the sake of low alcohol, right. I'm not jumping on that. I get that. Yeah. Um, we're talking to Letty Teague. Letty Teague is the wine columnist for the Wall Street Journal. Um, you could read her column three times every month. Um... I wanted to ask you one last thing before we break, and then when we come back, talk about your books a little, and I want to subject you to our wine (laughs) test. Subject. Subject you. (laughs) I'm going to tape you to the chair. Um, Since you've been writing, even just at the journal, 
have has social media and have millennials had a major effect on wine, how we view it, buy it, patterns and all of that? I mean, is it big enough to talk about? Oh, I think, and I, I wrote a column, actually one of the, you know, a very popular column because the topic is very popular about right. millennials drinking wine and, and they are, you know, said to be the largest generation of, in however many recent generations um, and their wine consumption, and so their wine consumption matters um, uh, and, and, the, and the standard line is that millennials care, they don't care about points, they care about stories and, and, um, and I think that's, that's that's probably true. I mean, this is all wildly anecdotal and and so completely not scientific. But um, it is I much agree, reported though. that that you know I think because they millennials that are often being led by millennials sommeliers who are telling them the stories, so they're responding to those stories. And and as a as one who is a writer, I'm I'm all for that because I think if you're looking for some and not just a soundbite, but if they're truly looking for some kind of in-depth narrative or even slightly superficial narrative of, of this producer or of this grape, you know, it's something that they can feel, um, uh, you know, more sort of, uh, uh, you know, compelled by it and feel more personally. Right. Um, as opposed, but I, but what makes me a bit itchy is when they're, when the, the, when the, when the, when the, the, uh, corollary um, truth, quote-unquote, is that middle-aged people only care about points. You know, like, young people care about stories, and, and middle-aged people... It's like, no, actually, we care about those stories, too. I mean, certainly as a journalist, I know, but I think people I think people millennials are into mm-hmm. stories and experiences, and they're... Aren't, but I am, too, aren't you? Me, too, but, <laughs> but I also think, you know, our friends, our age, and all of that, I, th- I would rather... Try five wines that Letty Teague wrote a column about, like say Chablis, where it was. Well, you're well the re- perfect man, well, Sam. <laughs> well, I am the perfect man, but where it's well researched and there are recommendations, you know, I'd be very curious about that versus somebody who handed me a list of here's five wines that are ninety plus, right, right, which is a. By somebody. 90 plus. They have to be a, at least 95 for you to care, right? You know, <laughs> so to me, I think people are, you know, moving away from that. That's uh-huh. that's that's sort of been a big topic but here. But do you, do you remember, and this is like going back a million years, there was a wine, there was a... Um, a restaurant in Soho that actually had uh, they published the the, the, the points on, on, the, the, on the wine menu? list yeah, on the wine list and it was the back in the day it was only the wine spectator and maybe the wine enthusiast but that it used to crack me up that the, some they would have like eighty seven point wines <laughs> on the list yeah I still <laughs> which you can never get away with now <laughs> but you go course, into a wine would. store and you'll see that right everything has I mean if it's points. if it's eight ninety nine eighty seven isn't bad no Sam <laughs> no one's ever going to be that's actually I wrote a column on um, um, on where I drank only 88 point wines because I thought you know it's kind of like like 88 point wines it's respectable but it's not it's not you know they're not going to they're not going to be expensive and they're not going so to be so one theme was the price was reasonable right. value but one it was just like I was in search of the B of the grade B wines you know like perfectly nice wines like a nice enough wine to have on a Tuesday night are these like, the sort of manufactured wines that people talked no, about the formula no wines are like a nice be, muscadet you know <coughs> right. it, it's not something they'll blow your socks off but you know you'll be perfectly but pleased. a very very serviceable wine right it's like coming home with a B on your, your report card right once upon a time that was acceptable do millennials to that point, do they want to spend money on wine, or they're more? I think if they have money, sure. <laughs> right, but but, it, you know. but trophies and price and everything is not so I, much an issue. I wouldn't. 
you know what? I'm again. Since I'm a journalist, I issue um, you know careless generalizations. Yeah, I think that's you know. You're right about that. <laughs> All right, Letty, we're going to take a break. We're talking to Letty Teague. Letty Teague is the wine columnist for the Wall Street Journal. When we come back, we're going to... Letty wrote a few interesting books we'll talk about for a few minutes, and then I will subject her to our wine list. And then Letty and I are going to taste a French Chardonnay that we have some differences about, maybe, maybe. Um, for our weekly wine sip. You're listening to The Grape Nation. We'll be right back. Today's program was brought to you by Wisconsin Cheese. What do you think of when you hear Wisconsin Cheese? For me, I think cheese curds. Delicious, fresh and squeaky cheese curds. Or deep fried cheese curds. Cheese curds literally any way, any time, any place. I think about Andy Hatch and Uplands Cheese, the farmstead cheese company behind Pleasant Ridge Reserve. I think of delicious, stinky Limburger and its long storied history. I think of Dunbarton Blue, made by master cheesemaker Chris Raleigh. I think of Ross Grand Cru Sirchois, which was named 2016's World Championship Cheese, and Satari's Black Pepper Bella Vitano, the 2017 U.S. Championship Cheese. Wisconsin produces the world's best cheese, with lush grasslands and a glacial water supply that produce the very best milk. Fourth-generation cheesemakers combine old-world tradition with new ideas and the highest standards to make innovative cheeses that win more awards than any other state or country. To learn more, visit wisconsincheese.com. All right, we're back. We're back with my guest, Letty Teague. Letty is the wine columnist for the Wall Street Journal. Letty also wrote a bunch of books, which I want to talk to you about quickly. We'll start from the oldest to the newest. Um, We talked about how you got your chops in writing, food and wine, Wall Street Journal, edited. I mean, pretty impressive and prolific. But your first book, you were an illustrator. A cartoonist. Cartoonist. <laughs> Are you a closet cartoonist? I um, mean, how'd this come about? It was a wine book. Yeah, but Fear you of were Wine. The, right. With the best the, title. The book was called, what was the title? Fear of Wine. Fear of wasn't Wine. That's a brilliant title. I can that say is that because it wasn't my, my idea. That is a good um, title. Uh, yeah, I was actually, I, I was once actually, I aspired to be a cartoonist. I even even created cartoon panels and sent them off, which now is such an antiquated notion since there are no cartoon, you know, cartoons right. in well, newspapers. New Yorker anymore. every now right. and then. Right. Oh, actually, I went to college with a girl whose father, um, Lee Lorenz, was the cartoon editor of the New Yorker. It's, what a sweet man that he was. So I Powerful dude, though. Powerful. What, yeah. And and. I wrote him when I graduated school, and I said, you know, I want to be a cartoonist. And he basically was like, good luck. Because <laughs> if, if there's one job that um, could make uh, um, being a wine columnist look like a, a cinch, it would be being a cartoonist, which is, you know, almost impossible. But when I came out with Fear of Wine, I sent him a copy. And he remembered. He said, congratulations, you, you know, um, you actually did it. It was a miracle. And, and in fact, that, that book, which was published in 1995, is still in print. Um, 
you can probably buy it for a dollar on Amazon, but uh, that's okay. <laughs> it's it was it's a, worth more, yeah. but but <laughs> did, did like little Letty in like mm. seventh grade were you like doodling? I was always and, cartooning, yeah. So yeah. you you, you, you know. kind of formed everything through the years. So I, when I was working at Morell and Company, which was my first job ever um, in the retail Morell the wine Morell, store, yeah, Morell okay. Morell um, wine it used to be called Morell and Company, right? But I would I was like <clears throat> cartooning on on sales slips everywhere, oh, you like, are? filled with cartoons, yeah. <laughs> that's funny. So Letty started as an illustrator, but she stayed in wine. Her next book, I love the premise, and it's called Educating Peter. And I think you need to tell us two things, who Peter is. Mm -hmm. And Educating Peter kind of explains it, but, you you know... Well, open that up for me a little. Peter, the Peter of the title is Peter Travers, um, the the witty and um, wildly popular uh, uh, film critic for Rolling Stone. And Peter Travers was once upon a time my neighbor in suburban New York. And when I met Peter, who who once uh, worked at People magazine with my uh, my ex-husband, Alan Richmond, we discovered that Peter um, had a fear of any wine. He had, he had the only wine that he liked was something he called Fatty Chardonnay. And that was, which is like which Big oaky, buttery, yeah, oaky. I love that he called it fatty. And <laughs> it's a good description. And, the, right, and the only wine he would he was he was terrified of Riesling, and and he was too thin, he, too sweet. <laughs> he just was terrified. I think it was, it was the, the 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 bottle, the shape of the bottle, the acidity, the sweet, what you name it. Um, but so I thought if I could take a guy like Peter, who was obviously a very witty, very right. um, clever guy, but very opinionated and and deeply ignorant man, and and educate him to. Uh, um, the ways of wine, then, then you know, and he would sort of be the 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 foil for and and for every question that someone learn, you know, wanting to know about wine, but questions they are perhaps afraid to ask, like why do they call you know the scent of a, a Sauvignon Blanc cat's pee, and, right. and why is that even you know acceptable in polite company? So. Um, the, our question, our back and forth was a three-part series in, in Food and Wine, and that's what led to the book, and it led to, you know, Peter and I spending an inordinate amount of time together tasting and spitting and I was going to ask you, talking I mean, about, um, what are films. we talking about, no. a year? It was year about a year, a it was about a year, but, but, and then Peter was name-dropping throughout, he would say like, oh, well, Marty doesn't like Chianti, and that was Marty Scorsese, Scorsese. and then, and then as his reward, I took him to the Napa Valley, and he became, he, he was obsessed with Ed Sabraja, who was then the head winemaker of Behringer, Behringer and because Ed because Ed made Big, the bigger fatty, than life right, guy right now he's not he's not anymore but no. he also made bigger than life Chardonnays right. which are like Peter's you know uh, absolute pinnacle of, of of what a great wine should be and the private reserve Chardonnay and so when he met at Sabraja it was like meeting you know a Hollywood film star yeah <laughs> well that's educating Peter that was a very uh, very cool premise executed well and peter was the perfect peter was great you know um now that everyone knows who peter is it's still a good book to go out and buy it's thank you for that it's timely (laughs) all right and your most recent book which is not that old i mean a couple of years three years old or whatever (laughs) wine in words it's a series of essays on stuff you really need uh to know about wine you know fun little essays and a beautiful design by rizzoli rizzoli just has gorgeous very cool uh book company Um, I asked you off air, and I want you to answer on air. There seems to be a proliferation of how-to books. Mm-hmm. Um, so a couple things. A bunch of them have come out in the last few years. They're so always you, coming you out. Got, yeah, no, but there seems to no. be a bunch. You, right. you got to jump on them. But right. what compelled you to write it, and why is your how-to a little ah, different? Okay. Well, you mean the 
book that's coming. Um, well, I'm not. No, going, no, okay. not the new. Not book. the one the that old, I'm working on. The, okay, the current one. Well, the, which is still wine a great and words. Book to buy. Yeah. yeah, wine and words. You know what? I, I, I want to just uh, brief little essays. Hopefully, fun but opinionated. Um, you know, takes on you know uh, things that that uh, you know again like questions that that people might ask. Like you know, why is the appropriate cellar temperature 55 degrees? Or or you know, what exactly is a wine collector? Or why Chablis is the greatest white wine in the world? And and just Funny, practical you know, stuff. Practical stuff. No maps. Stuff. No, no maps, pictures no maps, of rocks. Yeah. <laughs> none of that. Or why winery dogs are such a big thing. I was like, why? Why? You why know, does winery every winery dog? have a dog right. in their picture? And why, why are there? Are there like five books about winery dogs? Anyway, things like so that. So that that's a very fun, interesting, a little irreverent take. Mm-hmm. So I mean, Letty knows her wine. If you want to delve into uh, wine a little deeper, but have a little fun. Wine and words still make sense. I thank you for saying so. Let's hope so. So, wine and words is probably available at booksellers, Amazon. I bet you could find educating Let's, Peter. You're right about the illustrated book. Maybe you can get that for a buck somewhere. <laughs> yes, but still whatever. <laughs> Invest ninety five cents. Yeah. All right, Letty. We're going to move on. As I said, I'm going to subject you to our weekly wine list. We ask our guests every week pretty much the same questions and everyone has a different take and I want to get your take on uh, what you're doing with wine right now. So the first question is what are you drinking now? Not right now, but are you tasting through a certain type of wine? Is it seasonal? Drinking a lot for a column? What's on the table? Okay. Well, I just finished a column I reported in California um, with uh, actually behind the scenes sort of look at vineyard managers and that's coming out in the journal tomorrow online, which is a whole different side and that's not, not what one is tasting. Is this going to be a column? Yeah, this is a column. So this, this is, is really yeah. for wine, the guys that are really Yeah, these are guys that nobody but really it, thinks about, but they're the real talent. If you I mean, talk to you know, Steve Mathiasen, like, it's about farming and these are the guys. These are the guys. These are the right. guys that that's all they ever do. Um, and then another uh, column I have coming up, it's the it's the 10 wines, and I'm not going to say what they are, but uh, it's for the, our spring. We do a spring 50, just like we do a fall 50, and it's the wines that fit with the theme, but I'm not at liberty to say what the theme is. So (laughs) I'm not going to twist your arm, but to work around that, give me some specific things you're drinking. Um, More right now than a month ago. You know, I'm just, I I find myself drinking a lot of, uh, um, first of all, a a surprisingly large amount of white wine, even though it's, you know, we're in New York and it's 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 snowy. I know. Um, I drink a lot of Chablis. I drink a lot of Chenin Blanc. Um, uh, I've been drinking some Muscadet just because I've been so some, seafood. some so, cool white wines yeah some cool whites but also red wines from Etna um, in Sicily um, and Volcanic, uh, beautiful yeah and, and, and so that's been because I think that's you know really what are the predominant grapes is that uh, Norella Mascalese right which is you know sort of many have called it the Pinot Noir of Sicily because it has that same kind of transparency I think right. you know in some cases it has a little more uh, uh, tannin um than, than that, but uh, so Sicilian reds um, and sort of, you know, because I think there's also great price quality yeah, ratio. There's great value um, there for the quality. And uh, and you know, and basic uh, red Bourgogne. Um, so you know, because I'm a journalist and that's right. all I, I could afford. Right. Um, and uh, and also just you. Know, some what about Gamay? And Gamay for sure. Beaujolais, a lot of lot of cru stuff. Beaujolais. It's delicious um, right now. The last absolutely. three vintages. Absolutely. Gruner Veltliner um, is in the lineup. All right, too. so you covered yeah. enough. Yeah. Those are all great okay. wines. All right, so take that a step further. And what is Letty Teague's favorite wine and food pairing? 
something that you're not doing every night, but you oh wow it when it's in front of well, you. Well, you know what I really you... want um, to eat more of, and I'm I'm a bit stymied because my husband is very anti is uh, crab cakes. Um, thanks to my ex husband Alan Richmond, who the very first trip we went on was a, a search for the perfect Maryland crab cake. So thanks to Alan, I have the perfect recipe of the Maryland crab cake, and I only get to we have an agreement that I can make it once a month, but no more. <laughs> but so, so I get you to would make eat it, it more first of all. <laughs> I really more tomorrow is the is the is my day and that's the, the food cake. you're ready to pair <laughs> with what, what? oh we, uh, Chablis. Uh, Chablis. yeah and i think i've got uh, um uh, patrick puise you know um, p-i-u-z-e p-i-u-z-e yes right yeah. he's he a canadian makes, who who went right. to Chablis. Yeah. good story yeah so yeah. he makes a good value oriented oh yeah Chablis. he makes a, a bunch of uh, different give Chablis, me you know. another terroir de Chablis is his one of his basic ones fellow de Savaillon. I'll, I'll put 20s. those in our social media. <laughs> Give me one more Chablis. Um, again, things that people can can find readily, yeah. like the Druan um, Chablis right. is very findable. The 2015 is house. dynamite. It's it's twenty bucks. Yeah. So fifteen is a vintage. Is a vintage to buy and drink now. A, hold yeah, a little. Yeah, fifteen is a, is a drink now. It's a, it was a warm vintage. Like the the wines are, are very expressive. Fourteen is probably the more classic vintage. Right. If you find that's what 14. everyone's saying. Yeah. Um, so the pairing <laughs> is a crab cake. With a delicious Chablis. Yes, please. Okay, I like that. Um, can you tell me, and I guess we could stay in New York, because that's where you spend all your time, your favorite wine restaurant and or bar? And the answer is a place that has a sensitivity and a knowledge towards wine, wine service selection. Well, I'm not going to say favorite, because there are a lot of... I, and so and many I realize that it's incriminating sometimes. Great. Give I'll me tell you where I'm going next. good ones. How about if I just tell you where I'm going next? I, I know the been answer. There. Yeah. Go ahead. Because <laughs> he's been a guest on your show. But um, that's, that's a legit answer now. anyway. Well, it is. I haven't been to Le, Bruna, Le Bernardin in a while, and that's where I'm going next week. And to to, to be in the hands of Aldo Sam is just uh, one of life's great blessings, because Aldo is, as everyone knows, brilliant and, and fun. And Eric repairs food. It's yeah, just, and Eric repairs food. It's so, truly so, yeah. a great experience. Right. Um do you hang out at any wine bars? I mean, do you no, ever? No, I'm not a That's wine not... bar hanger. Okay, yeah. there's nothing in Jersey that you <laughs> hang out in. Definitely no, not definitely in wine not, bars yeah. in New Jersey. <laughs> All right, so Jersey is BYO land. No, thank God. Thank God. How much money have you and I saved I in the even... last? Well, no, because years. we spend it all on our taxes. <laughs> I know that's true, especially where you are. Oh yeah. Um, all right. Do you have? It doesn't have to be one like the restaurant thing could be a few or maybe it's one do you have a favorite all-time wine is there a wine that to this day yes changed you or was it a birth wine it didn't change me but it 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 was made an impression 1989 obreon um just because uh good vintage year great, great vintage, wine great wine it was it's been now a long time because it was thanks to Park B. Smith, the um, um, the crew Veritas guys, not or crew but Veritas, Veritas, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and also Park B. Smith uh, Home Furnishings, you know, brilliant, wonderful, generous man. And that was the first time I ever shared that. And 1995 Reyes, which um, with with Park was just just you know generosity itself. Was it at the restaurant or at a dinner? It, Do you it remember? At, it was at Park's house. It was actually, okay. yeah. yeah. He had a heck of a collection. Yeah. So the Reyes and the Alprion, yeah, good ones. What the heck? Um, this, I think you're very qualified to ask, answer. <laughs> I like the way you preface that. No, I, I, I Maybe think I'm you not. are. <laughs> and I always set this question up the same way. Best wine around 15 bucks retail, mm-hmm. a red and a white. My kids are in their mid-late 20s. They're starting to make a few bucks. They're not going to go out and buy a $50, $60 bottle of wine for a dinner or a party. Right. So 
but they want to bring something nice, interesting. What are they buying in the fifteen to twenty range? Oh, you've got give a lot. Give me a of, white. Give me. You can give me categories. I give you categories, and you, there's like, a lot you can do in that. In shoot, that. you've got um, uh, from the Loire Valley. You've got Muscadet. You've got um, some, some uh, actually some Chenin from the Samur yes. um, region. You've got basic Chablis. You've got um, Is that some nice, village or petite Chablis. Just regular Chablis. Regular just Chablis? AOC. Okay. Um, you've got uh, uh, some really nice Suaves. You've got. Um, Let's Suave see. from Italy. Suave nice. from Italy, um, from Veneto. You've got um, some white wines from Alto Adige. Um, you've Hot got, region. You've got and and you know you can get basic Etna reds, but I'll well actually I go I would probably go to the Douro um, okay. for the red in that range. Um, Douro Portugal. Douro, yeah, the Douro Valley of, of, of Portugal. Okay. Um, Good value there. I mean, you could find yeah, a fifteen, eighteen, twenty dollar red. Most definitely. The problem is finding the wines, you know, because there's not many stores. Better that, shot that, around here than most places. Yeah, no, definitely. In, in New York is definitely an advantage. Um, you know, uh, uh, Cru Beaujolais, absolutely. Yep. In the fifteen and sixteen vintage. Um, I'm trying to think because I'm trying. I'm thinking about American wines, and it's just more difficult. You it doesn't know, come that, up a in lot. That, uh, category. I mean, you can. You're find, better off with a shin on, yeah. you know, versus. Some, you can maybe find a basic. You know, can find like an Oregon Pinot Gris. Um, that's, yeah. that's nice. You know, that's in that cool. price range. Washington State. Washington Riesling. State. Um, and Chateau Saint Michel. You know, very solid. All right, those are all good ones. I'm going to post uh, all those answers. Last question, quick one, because we got to take wine, and I promised I'd get you out of here on time for your uh, dinner or meeting or whatever. Um, other wine writers that influenced you or you admire? Well, you know, the man that influenced me, and, and he's really sick of my saying this every time I see him, <laughs> is uh, <laughs> Gerald Asher. Um, when, I was a, when I was a student um, and I read his book, um, he was in the wine trade. And actually, I once worked for Gerald Asher when I was one of my unsuccessful uh, um, Tell jobs. everyone who Gerald is. Oh, Gerald Asher was the longtime wine columnist for Gourmet. But before he was the, the Gourmet wine columnist, he was a wine merchant in London. Right. And that's the book he's that British, I, right? I read, yeah. And then he moved to San Francisco, but he um, is just such a beautiful writer. And he, for a time, he was the president of Mosswood Wine Company, which was where I was a sales trainee. Um, they fired me because I didn't type well, though. But they gave me a going away party and a, bur- and a cake. So <laughs> that ain't happening anymore. <laughs> That's a bad type is. Um, they said, so we're Gerald really Asher. sorry, Letty. Um, yeah. Okay. All right. So them. but Kermit Lynch. Marvelous. Lynch, um, his you know, book is terrific. He just um, he updated actually, it. Yeah, he he wrote for me at Food and Wine. I'll never forget. He used to. He was always in France, and he would fax me like you know um, edits, and and I'd always have to tell the copy editor not to change. Very things interesting guy. Still mm-hmm. walking the walk. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Anthony's doing a lot of writing for his site now. Uh-huh. His son. Uh-huh. All right, Letty, we're going to move to our last segment, our weekly wine sip. Every week we taste a different wine on air. For our weekly wine sip this week, we're going to taste a 2015 Olivier Leflave, Flave, Leflave, Bourguignon Le Seti. It's a Chardonnay from the Poligny, Montrachet, and Merzeau regions of France. Mm-hmm. Two hoity-toity great wine Hoity-toity. <laughs> this wine retails for about 20 bucks, so mm-hmm. it's a pretty good price point uh-huh. from a good maker uh-huh. and a good wine. And it's available at better stores. I told you the reason I picked this is because right. I know you're. Because it a sh- wasn't Chablis. Because <laughs> I know you're a Chablis lover, you're a and I want to get a Chablis right. lover captive. Okay. And taste a wine Serve that's me some not warm Chablis. white wine, Sam. And I first quickly tell me difference between Chablis and a white Bourguignon. Don't evaluate well, the wine yet. Oh, Let's sorry, talk I took a sip. Okay. Oh, no, well. That's okay. 
Well, Burgundy is divided into su- into five um, subregions, and, and sh- of which Chablis is one and the northernmost. So, this is from the uh, this is from the, the Cote d'Or. So it's from right. a different region, but and and from the Cote de Bone, um, the southern portion of the of the Cote d'Or. So. It's going to be, you know, stylistically, you know, a, a rounder, warmer, richer, less angular, you know, um, wine, less pronounced acidity. Um, I think this is, I mean, this is this wine, you know, as you noted, um, is pretty widely available. is is really well priced. Flaflev, it, it's a very solid wine, you know, year to year. Um, so, question. It definitely, if you put the two wines side by side of Chablis in this, this is a rounder, right, right. richer and wine. And this has got some oak. Um, I'm guessing well, that was my of, question. Yeah. yeah. The grape is a Chardonnay grape. Same grape, but the different farming treatment. is yeah. right, and the treatment. It's a different region, more southerly region, right, um, which has some effect on the juice, right, and the, and the ripeness use of, the of oak versus. And, and I think there's a little bit of I don't know, I don't know, maybe maybe it might be a, like a year. I don't I don't know that there's that much new oak. It's probably not. Right. I, I don't have a tech I, you sheet. know what? I, it's I, maybe twenty percent new. Okay, oak. so it's I a little remember bit, looking at the stats. Okay, then which I would guess, but inchably that's almost. Unheard of, unheard except of. for maybe in a, a few Grand Cru's, there might be a little bit. Like you said, a Chablis more stainless steel focused, fermentation, precise. Yeah, yeah, much more angular. Right, and your preference is well, you know, that. stylistically, I can appreciate this, and certainly yeah, no. there would be dishes you would want. I mean, I would have this with a crab cake. Sure. All right, so let's let's evaluate it now. So like let's let's first let's give it a sniff, and okay. then we'll throw it over the tongue. So color wise, it's sort tongue. of <laughs> it's that pale yellow. Uh-huh. It's a little right, gold. little gold mm-hmm. color. Now, give me your nose descriptors. That's like a little, like sort of a, a little lemon. I get lemon. I no, get a little pear. Maybe a little pear. Maybe a little, uh, um, almost sort of a slight creme brulee. You know, from the mm. oak. You know? Yep, I agree with you on that. Kind of thing. Going on. All right, now let's yeah. go mouthfeel. It's really nicely balanced, you know, because you've got you got I the get acidity. You, mm-hmm, definitely get acidity. But it has some, and there's a really nice texture. It has some nice weight in the mouth, you know. Um, As Peter would say, it's not that fat not of that a wine. Fatty, it's right. a full-bodied right, wine, but it's right. not a fatty, right? It's a trim. It's a trim. It's a trim. <laughs> All right, so what trim do we say? Name. Medium body plus? I would say medium body. I medium don't, body. I don't say plus. Okay. <laughs> I, I don't know I where you got that I use that term just from osmosis. <laughs> People see. around me say that. Medium plus. Medium you're, plus. You're, uh, medium yeah. minus. Right, uh, channeling uh, um, Oz. Uh, yeah. All right, let's uh, take another sip and give me some palate descriptors. I just did, Sam. You weren't listening. That was nose. Mm. You did palate. I said it had had had. It was well balanced. Has a um, a, a very nice texture. It has it has a, a bit of richness, you know, up front, it, and it finishes very clean, you know, um, very bright. Um, it's not terribly complex, but but it's it's nicely put together, you know, where nothing is nothing is overt. It has good acidity, but it, you know, and... and um, any fruit, flower, I mean, it, it, any maybe of Maybe a little, little, little pear, a little lemon, The, you know? the Not, nose like carries going, through I, to I don't the, like to go wild on the old okay. fruit basket, you know. Yeah. Chat, you know. Um, <laughs> all right. It's not... Too oaky, not too buttery, right? No, I'm definitely not buttery. But not know? too Touch complex either. No. Yeah. Okay. What you, it's 20 bucks, Sam. Yeah. What are you expecting? <laughs> All right. So what foods would you pair with this? Crab cake would go well? Crab cake. Give me Chicken, one. roast chicken. Roast chicken. Um, any kind of fish in a, in a, in a cream sauce. Okay. Uh, or even just any kind of, you know, shrimp, uh, pasta. So a lot shrimp. of times you pair to the cr- 
the sauce, not the meat. So this would hold yeah, up definitely. to a cream sauce I think so, yeah. on a yeah, chicken. Yeah, I agree with richness. you on that. And it also has some nice, you know, cleansing acidity. Do we like, love, okay? What do we think of this wine? We like it. It's, it's we think good it's for the month. Yeah. It's a, for this it's style. A, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, I would not be displeased if you brought this to my house. Right. <laughs> If you were roasting chickens and even stuff if like. I wasn't, okay, you could still come. <laughs> All right. All right. So that's the 2015 Olivier Laflave Bourguignon Lesseté available on the market now. Um, Letty and I like it. Definitely a certain style. If you want a more angular, you know, precise wine with minerality, the Chablis in steel tanks would probably be better. But if you want a more full you know, body... Don't, don't, be, don't be, you know, underselling Olivier Lefebvre. Le no, 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 no. Stylistically. Nice, yeah. <laughs> style, if you want a fuller-bodied wine. I mean, this is your oh, wine. I thought you are backing away from your wine. No, okay. no. It's, it's done well for the price. Um, all right. I'll post the wine on our site. Uh, Letty, we're going to wrap up. If you have a question, suggestion, wine happening, or event, hit me up at samatthegrapenation.com. That's Sam at the Grape Nation. Follow us on Facebook at The Grape Nation. I'll post Letty's wine list answers. I'll post what we're drinking. I'll post a bunch of the suggestions Letty made during the show. Um, I'll post our weekly wine sip selection, like I said. Um, follow The Grape Nation on Instagram at SBenRuby. And now you can follow hashtags. Follow the hashtag The Grape Nation. And on Twitter, we're at BenRuby and hashtag The Grape Nation. Letty, if we want to find you on social media, we have to search a little, but Twitter? Um, at Letty Teague One. At Letty Teague word. One, L-E-T-T-I-E-T-E-A-G-U-E, the number one. Um, and if people want to dig around for columns, they can go to Subscribe Wall Subscribe to the Wall Street Journal. Well, no, ironically, <laughs> if you go... To the Wall Street Journal and dig up your column, you get the first paragraph and then oh, you, you have do? to subscribe. Oh, well, then... So you have to do that anyway. <laughs> but you can go to WallStreetJournal.com. All right. I want to thank our guest, Letty Teague. Letty is the is an author and wine columnist for the Wall Street Journal. Look for her columns. Um, thank you to our engineer, Vitor, and everyone at the Heritage Radio Network. I'm Sam Ben Ruby, and you've been listening to The Grape Nation. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.